Shenichnas Adar, Marvin Besimcha, the Gemara tells us at the end of Mesechta Tainas, Kishem Shemi Shenichnas Av, Mematin Besimcha, Kach Mi Shenichnas Adar, Marvin Besimcha. So the big question is, so when does this begin? When does this mandate of Simcha start? So Reb Chaim Kinevsky says, I know people are, are getting very nervous already because the prospect of having to be happy is uh, very difficult for people. It's one of the most uh, difficult months of the year where people think I actually have to smile, I have to actually be happy. Av seems much easier. People are getting nervous. They may have to move their facial muscles in a more vertical position. So don't worry, I'm here to give you uh, the Kula, Reb Chaim Kinevsky, Reb Chaim Paskins, Mishanichnas Adar Marim Besimcha, does not begin until the second day Rosh Chodesh. So you could breathe a sigh of relief that you don't have to start being happy until the second day of Rosh Chodesh. Why? Because the first day is still Chodesh Shvat. However, the Benish Chai writes in Parshas Mishpatim, the Gemara doesn't say, Mishihigiya Adar Marim Besimcha. Says is already from the Moilad. Already from the Moilad, you have to start being happy. But Nebenzal writes, When they say, Already then we begin being Besimcha, and the Munkachar says already from Chaydesh Shavat. So we're definitely within arms reach, and I think. Another opinion possibly could be if Hakel has a special shear for Chodesh Adar and for Purim, that would begin the Zman Simchasenu, like we say in Yiddish, but the good times roam. Let's speak a little bit about Esther Hamalka. Of all the individuals in Tanakh, of all the Tzadikim, the Tzadkaniyos, Esther Hamalka seemed to have lived the most lonely, isolated life of anybody in the entire Tanakh. We all know, If she had no father and mother, why does the Pasuk have to say, Says the Gemara, When her mother conceived, her father died. When her mother gave birth, her mother died. So Esther was no ordinary orphan. Esther wasn't just someone who had no father and had no mother. Esther never saw her father. She never saw her mother. So you say, okay, she had no father and mother, but at least she was like to marry Mardechai HaTzadik. But we all know that Esther's marriage to Mordechai was not long-lasting. At a certain point in time, Mordechai tells Esther, you have to go to Achashverosh, and Esther says, So Esther goes to her, goes to Achashverosh, and now not only does she have no father, she has no mother, she has no husband. She's Esther to Mordechai HaTzadik. Esther had no Nachas Ruach from her marriage to Achashverosh. She did have a child, Daryavesh. Presumably, she did not have Yiddish Nachas from Daryavesh. Daryavesh did allow the building of the second base on Mikdash. However, Daryavesh 
seemingly did not accord himself like a Shomer Torah Mitzvah. So Esther has no father, she has no mother, she has no husband, she has no Jewish descendants. And certainly, who are we to probe the Darkei Shamayim, Mystery Darkei Hashem? But a little bit, let's try to understand why the great Sadekes, who the Megillah is named after, had to suffer this faith where she has no parents, no husband, no children. Why was this the fate of Esther Hamalka? There's a frightening story mentioned in the Sefer Taldais Adam. Taldais Adam is the biography of the brother of Reb Chaim Reb Zalmala of Elazhen. And there he records a story about a woman who in 1492, during the time of the Spanish Inquisition, she had her two sons slaughtered in front of her eyes. And at that occasion, she raised her eyes heavenward. And she says, Until now, I loved you, but my love for you was not an ahava shalema because I had to share my love to you with my love for my two children. But now, now that you've taken my two children from me, panisi levavi my heart is fully open and available only for your love. This is what this Sadeka said on that fateful day when her two children were slaughtered before her in 1492. Now she says, I've been able to mekayim At the levayah of the Chafetz Chaim's son, Rabbi Abram, Chafetz Chaim did not cry. The Chafetz Chaim showed no external signs of mourning. All the Chafetz Chaim said was Avad Go'in Yisrael. Whereupon the Chafetz Chaim declared, Whatever love until now that was dedicated to my son, Harini Moiser Meyata Lecha. And the Chafetz Chaim said over the story recorded in the Taldais Adam of Rabzalmala of Elijah. So we see from these Hanhagos of these great people, that although being alone in life is not an easy fate, and it's a challenging fate, and it's a difficult life circumstance, certainly life is more enjoyable with parents, with, with a spouse, with children, and we're all misfollowed to have such company in life. But me'idach gisa, if someone is in a circumstance without any... They have a certain opportunity where they have the opportunity to mekayim the mitzvah of Ava Sashem on the highest possible level. We all know the Medrash Tanchum and the Medrash Tanchum asks a contradiction. On the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu offers us the Torah and in Parshas Yisrael we said Naasa and in Parshas Mishpatim we said Naasa Venishma where Makabal the Torah Baratzayim. And on the other hand, the Gemara says in Shabbos, on Peches, Amar Rav Abdimi, Barchama, Barchasa, Malamech, Shekafa, Aleim, Hahar, Kegigis, Hashem coerced us to Mechabel, the Torah. And the Gemara says, but don't worry, Hadar Kibluha Bimeyachashverosh. So there was one Kabbalah Satoyah Baratzayim in the times of Purim. And there was one Kabbalah Satoyah Baratzayim at Harsinah. 
Baratzayim. Nasa the Nishma was at Harsinai. That was also Baratzayim. But there was another Hadar Kibluha in the times of Achashash. Says the Medrash Tanchuma Das Kedin Bali Atois was quotes this as well. Hatar Shabachsab, Hatar Shabata. Tar Shabachsab, we accepted Baratzayim at Harsinai. Tar Shabapeh, the Lashon of the Medrash, is the Dikduke Kalois, the Chamurois, the Hiazo Kamoves, the Kosha Kisha Oil. In order to learn the Tarsha Peh, you need to love the Rebbe with all your being, with all your emotion, with all your heart. Tarsha B'chsav, it was easy to be Mekabal Baratzayim. Tarsha Peh, only someone who loves HaKadosh Baruch with every fabric of their being. Could it be then, that if Esther is going to be the catalyst to elevate the Jewish people, so that we can be mekabel Torah Shabal Peh which requires a darga of Avas Hashem, of the Ahavtas Hashem Lekacha Bechal Levavicha, then Esther had to be an individual whose heart was completely available for Avas Hashem, and there was no makayim. In Esther's heart, not for Ahava for Hoyrim, not for Ahava for Abal, not for Ahava for Bonim. Her heart was completely overflowing only with Ahavas Hashem. She was selected to be the catalyst to bring Klal Yisrael to the level of Kabbalah's Torah Shabbat Peh Perhaps this explains the fate of Esther Hamalka. Because in order to be Kabbalah's Torah Peh, I want to bring your attention to the end of the firm story. We know the last Pasuk of the Megillah. The Megillah ends off as it should. We talk about Mordechai HaTzadik. Ki Mordechai HaYehudi Mishnah LaMelechach HaShveirosh. He's second in command. The God Allah Yehudim. He's great. And most of the Kehila likes him. Which is as best as you're going to get if you're a rabbi. <laughs> and that's how the Megillah ends. By the way, Rabbi Rucham has a whole schmooze that Achashverosh wanted to do Lasso's Kertsoin Ishveish. He wanted to please everyone. That was his mistake. Why do you have to want to please everyone? You should be Ratzel Leroy Bechav. If you want to please, only the Rebbe Hashem could please everyone. But that's not the discussion today. The Megillah ends that Ki Gadol Mardechai Beves Hamelech, Mardechai Yehudi was second in command. He was honored by the majority of the Jewish people. Doi Reish Toiv Amoy, the Doi Shalom Chazar. But let's focus our attention for a moment not on the second to last Pasuk in the Megillah. How do you say second to last in English? Penultimate. Very good. We're going to focus today on the third to last Pasuk of the Megillah. How do you say third to last in English? The anti-penultimate Pasuk in Megillah Sesta. Vayasem ha-malach ha al ha'aretz v'yeh hayom 
Paragid of Megillus Esther begins, the third to last Pasuk, Achashverosh taxes the people. Who cares? Why does the Megillah need to record that Achashverosh taxes the people? Is this relevant to the Purim story? Is this connected to the salvation of Klal Yisrael, to the downfall of Haman? We need to know Achashverosh's financial planning. I mean, the Megillah goes back and forth. It starts off, He gave respite to the taxes, then he raises the taxes. But why is the grand finale of Megillah, Esther, that Achashverosh taxes the people? Especially in light of the fact that the very next Pasuk is, You want to know the historical context of the story? You want to know the palace intrigue, the background, the Persian politics. You got the wrong book. You got to go to the chronicles of Persia and Media. What's the Megillah telling us? Is the Megillah really referring us to go to the great repositories of Persian media, open up large volumes, and start reading the history of Persian media? What's the Megillah telling us? Haloyheim kisuvim b'sefer divrei hayamim. Says Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky. This is the central message of the Megillah. This is not a historical document. Nothing was written to give you context of the times. There's no political intrigue here. You want to know that information? Wrong book. Go to the Chronicles of Persia and Media. This book was written for one reason and one reason only. Persume Nisa, to see the Yad Hashem, to see Ashkacha Pratis. Really? So why did the Pasuk before say, Achashverosh tax the people? Asks the Briskarah. Friends, I want to share with you an idea to answer this question, an original idea that will open up to us new vistas and understanding Megillah's Esther. We will understand the Megillah in a completely revolutionary way and will open up our minds not only to understand the miracle of Purim, but to understand how HaKadosh Baruch Hu works throughout Jewish history at HaYernadah. And all we need to know are three words of Gemara. Okay, you don't need to know more than that. Three words of Talmud Babli. So Haman has this great plan. By the way, if I could share with you, you know, uh, see at the end of B'Shalach, Kiyad al-Kaiska, Muhammad al-Hashem al-Amalek, Kiyad al-Kaiska, that Amalek somehow is minimizing the name of Hashem. He's taking the Yud Kei and he's making it Ka. Where do we find... Where do we find in the Megillah that Haman is minimizing the name of Hashem? Do we find him? Does the Pasuk say Haman went to a Siddur and he checked to make sure the cameras were off and he started to cut off letters of Hashem's name? Where do we see that Haman in any way affected the Shein Hashem? And the answer is Haman did not say anything about the Shein of Hashem. But there is one entity in this world that reflects HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. And that is Klal Yisrael. We are the reflection of Hashem. You know what telecasts and broadcasts to the world that there's one God? If Ata Echad, Vishimcha Echad, you know who declares Shimcha Echad? Mika'amcha Yisrael, Goy Echad Ba'aretz. When Klal Yisrael unite, when Klal Yisrael are one entity, that Memela broadcasts to the world, there's one God. 
You know, we talk about the subject of Jewish unity, achdos. It's the most abused, misunderstood concept in the Torah. Why is achdos so important? I understand we shouldn't fight, we shouldn't bicker, but why do I have to like you? Why do you have to like me? We'll come to shul, we'll sit next to each other, I'll daven, you'll daven. What is the great ideal of achdos Yisrael? that destroyed the base of Mikdash. The answer is if we are not goy echad ba'aretz then chas v'shalom, we broadcast to the world that Hashem is not echad. We are the ambassadors of God in this world. The entity, the reality of Hashem is telecasted to this world through the entity of the Jewish people. That's why we're going to say in the Haggadah about the Russia. Because he doesn't participate with the Tzibor, he's a Kaifer? He's not part of the Tzibor. How is he a Kaifer? The answer is if the Russia says there's the Tzibor and then there's me, then what he's saying is, and he's a Kafar Beikar. So Haman says to the world, Yeshnoi am echad mefuzar u'mefairad. Ah, once we're mefairad, what he's saying is that Hashem is not echad. That's why Rabbi Yannis and Ibishub says that Zeresh tells Haman, you better go to the Melech uvaboiger emarlam in the morning. Says the Medrash, koidum kriyashima. Koidum kriyashima. Why before kriyashima? Listen to this very important insight. When we say Shema, we usually think, Shema Yisrael, listen, listen, Rabbi, listen, O Israel, listen, Klal Yisrael. That's not the full meaning of the word Shema. Shema doesn't mean listen. In Tanakh, Shema means, Vayishama Sho'ol Es Ha'am, says the Goyim. Shema is the Lushen of His Achdus, galvanizing. Shema Yisrael, Gather together Israel as one. Memela, if we unite, then the message is Hashem Alekin Hashem Echad. We don't have to say it. Our Shema Yisrael, our unification itself, bespeaks there's one God. Therefore, Zara said, if you're going to accuse the Jewish people of being Mefuzar Umefayrad, you better get to Achashverosh Uvaboiker before Zman Krishna. Okay, that was just way of digression. So Haman makes sure to come in the morning. And that night, we all know, Achshosh couldn't sleep, and he's tossing and he's turning. And Achshosh hears footsteps in the courtyard. Who's in the courtyard? Haman was coming. To the outer courtyard of the king. To say to the king, to hang Mordechai. On what? Al ha'etz on the tree. You ready for these words? Asher heichin loy. That he prepared for him. Literally, that Haman prepared for Mordechai. Ask the Gemara. There's an extra word here. The word loy is extra. It should say Asher heichin. That Haman prepared. Farshteitzach. He prepared it for Mordechai. Why does it have to say for him? Says the Gemara. All you need to know is three words. Tana loy He didn't prepare it for Mordechai. 
He prepared it for himself. He prepared the gallows for himself. This is the central theme of Megillah Sester, where every plan, every nation, every scheme of Haman, Hashem did not have to foil the plan. Hashem said, you give me the plan, you give me the scheme, and I will hijack it, co-opt it, and use it against him. Case in point, Haman makes these gallows 50 amois tall. How tall is 50 amois? 50 amois is, according to the Chazoynish, 100 feet tall. You can't even see so tall. You can't see below 20 amois, above 20 amois. Why would Haman make such a monstrosity of an eyesore of a gallows 50 amois tall? So the Grog explains, because Haman's cheshben was this Achashverosh guy, is a wishy-washy guy. He can't make up his mind. If he's going to try to present to Achashverosh, you know, I think we should hang Mordechai, and Achashverosh is going to hem, and he's going to haw, and he's going to speak to the Chacham and Yodei Al-Ifkim, and speak to Memuchad, until the, until the whole thing, until the dust settles, it will never happen. So what we're going to do is we're going to create this eyesore, staring in the face of the king. In a moment of rage, I'm going to get Achashverosh angry at Mordechai, and he'll say, Tulu Allah. And that's exactly what backfired on Haman. So Haman takes a misstep with Esther. If a day would have passed, Haman would have talked himself out of the whole thing. He said, I fell, I, I, I slipped, it was an accident, it was a mistake. Don't you know, I'm, I'm loyal to you. And Haman would have gotten himself out. But in a fit of rage, and he sees the tree staring him in the face, and uh, he says, So they hang him. This is the central theme of the, of the Megillah. On Purim, we're going to say in the Bimei Mordechai de Esther, Yata Barachamecha Rabin, Hefarta Esat Sasai, Vikil Kalta Esmachshaptai. We say, Hefarta, you foiled his Eitza, you corrupted his Machshava. What's the difference between Eitza and Machshava? The Goyim says, Eitsa is a plan that comes to fruition. Machshava is merely a thought that never gets played out. Hence, Rabbis, Machashavos, Belevish. Man has many thoughts. Ba'atzas Hashem, only God has Eitsa, only God's final plan is actually executed. Therefore, we're going to say in the Megillah, Yes, you foiled his ultimate plan. It never came to fruition. But the Yibam Shalom did a lot more than that. He took the Machshavos of Haman and he corrupted them. He co-opted them. He hijacked them to accomplish what the Yibam Shalom wanted to accomplish. So let's give a few examples of this. There was a man by the name of Oivadia. Oivadia was a Navi. He said the shortest Nebuah in the Torah. He said one parak of Nebuah, Sefer Ayvadya. What did he prophesy about? The downfall of Adam. Says the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Lama Tesla Nodez, you can see number 16 on your sheet. Why did Ayvadya prophesy about the downfall of Adam? Says the Gemara, this illustrates the phenomenon, Menei Ubei Abba, Nezobei Nagra. From the forest itself, comes the handle for the axe. 
You have a forest. You have thousands of trees. A day later, there are no more trees left. What happened? The forester came. He had a blade, but in order to knock down the trees, he needs a handle for the blade. Where does the handle of the blade come from? Says the Gemara, from the forest itself comes the handle for the axe. That's the way the Rebbein Shem operates. Edom is going to have a downfall. Who prophesizes about the downfall of Edom? Only Oivadya, who was a Ger Adoimi. He came from Edom. From the forest itself came the handle for the axe. So there's a man by the, a man by the name of Moshe Rabbeinu. He's a little baby. He's floating in the Nile. Now, if you're a baby floating in the Nile, what do we call a baby floating in the Nile? Lunch. There are crocodiles in the Nile. I once spoke in Phoenix, Arizona. So they took me to an aquarium. And in the aquarium, they have an albino crocodile. And you watch this. The trainer comes into the room, and he has a slab of meat on a stick, he goes like that. The albino crocodile is 10 feet away. Within a split second, he snaps at that piece of meat so quickly and gets back to his spot. It's faster than your eye could take in the scene. So when the babies were floating in the Nile, they usually didn't make it. Paroi got official word from his astrologers that today will be born the Maishion Shal Yisrael. We don't know if he's going to be Jewish, if he's going to be a Gentile. So therefore, Pari decree, Every boy, we have to throw him in the Nile. And the Rebbein is laughing at Paroi. Paroi, you think this Gezeira is going to bring an end to the Savior of the Jewish people? Watch this, Paroi. And Paroi's own daughter was bathing in the Nile. Rashi says she was bathing to convert. She was being Megaya. And she hears, V'hine nar boifah. And she brings him in. And she brings him into the house. And that night, Paro is trying to fall asleep. And he hears noise coming from the next room. Basia, what's going on? What's that racket coming from your room? You had a baby? You didn't tell me about that. Yeah, don't worry, Dad. I found him. Where'd you find him? Go back to sleep. Don't worry. I found him in the Nile. But dad, do me a favor, I, he's been keeping me up all night. Would you mind holding the baby for an hour so I could get a little sleep? Okay, Basya. So Paroi rocks baby Moshe to sleep. And an hour later, Basya says, you know, we don't have any formula in the house. Do you want to go out to CVS to get some formula? So Paroi says, uh, you have any money? No, put it on your American Express card. You take care of the bill. Who provided Home for Moshe Rabbeinu, Parai. Who provided food for him? Parai. Who raised Moshe Rabbeinu? Parai. Parai brought up Moshe Rabbeinu. Ask Ibn Ezra, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu arrange that Moshe should grow up a base Parai? says that Ibn Ezra was, was the Hashkacha Nifla. If Parai would have, if Moshe would have grown up among the Jewish people... He would have had a slave mentality. He would have had low morale. He never would have had the personality to be a leader. He had to be a king. Moshe Rabbeinu was a melech. Vahibi Shur and melech. So Paroi taught Moshe Tachsisei Malchus. Paroi created Moshe, says the Yudin 
So Paroi thought he's going to put an end to Mashiach and Shal Yisrael. If not for the Gezerah of Kala Ben HaYiloid, we wouldn't have had Mashiach. Not only did Paroi not eradicate Mashiach, Paroi groomed the Mashiach. That's the type of Hashkacha that we're going to see in Megil then. There's a very difficult question on Megillah. What did the documents say? When Haman drafted his decree, Lahashmid, Laharoi, Guliabi, what did those documents say? If I could refer you to number 23. Seemingly, in Pasuk Yud Gimel, the Pasuk says, that the documents stated to obliterate, to murder, to destroy all the Jewish people. And yet, if you look in the next Pasuk, Pas Shegen HaKesav, the text of the document, what it said openly was, it didn't say what would happen on that day. It just said, be ready for that day. Beware of the Ides of March. That's all the document says. So it's a contradiction. Pasuk Gimel says, the document said that they were going to be murdered. Pasuk Yedalit says, just be ready for that day, says the Vilna Gaim. Haman, with what he thought was Chachma Nifla, was afraid that if in the public documents to the governor, and the public documents to the people, if on the Pashkavilan, on the broadsides, it said, on the 13th of Adar, the Jewish people would be annihilated if we would get wind of what his plan was. So, we would know what to do. We would go to the governor, we would go to the mayor, we would take out a few Benjamins, and we would be Mekayim the Pasuk, Ki Hashoichad Ya'aver Enei Chachamim Visalev Divrei We would bribe our way out of it. So Haman did not want the Jewish people to get wind of what his plan was. So in the private letters to the governors and the mayors, indeed it said, But in the public broadsides, in the Pashkavilin, all it says was, Beware! Haman didn't want us to know what was going to happen on the 13th of Adar. Fast forward the story... Esther reveals she's a Jew. She says, Ish Haman says, Okay, what would you like me to do? So Esther says, We need you to rescind the decree. Achashverosh says, I can't do it. Ki chesov asher nichtov b'shem ha-melech v'nachtoyim b'tabas ha-melech em ha-shiv. I can't rescind the decree. Sign, seal, delivered. Esther said, Achashverosh, look carefully at the decree. All the decree said was Liyais Asidim Layoim Hazeh. The fool Haman never put in the document what would happen on the 13th. It just said, be ready for the 13th. So I have a great idea, Esther. Let's just tweak it. So Haman's plan backfired on him. He thought this would be the only way to ensure he'd be able to execute his plan. And this was the Pesach he left to have the tables turned on top of him. And that's how he dug his own grave.
Now here's a very difficult question. Achishosh has a problem with his wife. This is not America in 2022. This is a Persian dictator. Persian dictators had a different wife every Monday and Thursday. If you have an issue with your wife, you do not ask the advice of an assembly or a congress. Forget about any judicial reforms. In Persia, the wife listens, and if she doesn't, All of a sudden, Achashur says, Vayoyna ha-melech, lachachamim, But why is he asking the advice? Was this a democracy all of a sudden? Vayoyna ha-melech, lachachamim, yoyday ho-yitim? Says the Vilna Goy, now we understand, Kichin divar ha-melech, lifnei, kol yoyday, dasvadim. The law in Persia was, the king calls all the shots. The king can make a unilateral decision. However, that's only if it's not Noigea him. But when it's Noigea the Melech, he was required to ask the advice of his assembly. Kichin Devar HaMelech. Says the Goyim, Devar HaMelech. If it was relevant to the Melech himself, he was required to ask advice. But wait a second. So then why in the end of the Megillah, when... Achashosh is fuming and he steps outside and Haman is there. And then Achashosh comes back in and he doesn't know what to do. The tree is looming, why don't you hang him? Achashosh says, okay, to Allah. How is he allowed to do that? Why didn't he have to ask the advice of the Chachamim Yoyde'in? What happened to the law in Persia? that Achashverosh needed to ask the advice of his assembly. The answer is, there's one very important detail we forgot to mention. There was a specific legislation made in Persia. And that is, She's, she's messing with all husbands. So I propose the following. Says the Goyim. Memuchan made the following proposal. You fool, Achashverosh. You're going to allow there to be a law in Persia? That you have to ask Chachamim Yoydei Oitim when it's Devar HaMelech? From now on, Yisid Var Malchus Milafana, you call all the shots. And why did Mamuchan want to pro- uh, propose that wall? Who's Mamuchan? Haman. Targum Shemi says Haman had a daughter. He wanted his daughter to marry Achashverosh. Targum Shemi says that he actually tried her out. But let's put it nicely. Targum Shemi says they hadn't invented Listerine yet. So it didn't work out. It says Hashem created Ruach Ra Mipina. That's the lesson of the Targum. So Haman thought he's making this proposal to advance his own cause, to put his daughter in place, because he didn't like Vashti. But Haman is digging his own grave, because when he takes the misstep with Esther, really, Achishar should have had a call in the Chachamim Yoy Dehoitim. 
And they would have said he tripped, he fell, it's not his fault, all kinds of mysis, and he would have gotten off the hook. But because Haman proposed the law, Charbonne said, okay, Gamineo eats, and Achashar should say on his own, Tuluhu Allah. This is the Hashkacha of Miguel Ancestor. You know, it hit me. I'm thinking about this concept every time within a month of Purim, this idea just takes over my mind. Now you see this in, in Sefer Barathees. The brothers tell Yosef, You're going to be a melech? You're not going to be a melech. <laughs> we will... Okay, you know what? Instead of an argument, Hashem says, you think you're going to put a stop on No, you're going to be the transportation service to bring Yosef to the Makon where he'll be Not only could the Shvatim not stop the plan of Hashem, Hashem used the Shvatim to execute it. That's the manner of Hashkocha that we're talking about. And if you'll ask, why does Hashem operate this way? It says, Rav David Tevel, Rav David Tevel was Hamimuvak of Rav Chaim Belazhenar. He wrote on Shas Nachalas David. He wrote Shas Tshuvas Nachalas David. He wrote Drashois based David. Says the Shas Tshuvas based David. First, he, he says this in a very philosophical way. He says that usually a nation has a certain ministering angel. Let's say the ministering angel of Egypt was Mayim. So they drowned all the Jewish kids. So in order to counteract them, another nation would have to come along with a ministering angel of fire and one-up the ministering angel of water. But the Rebbe Hashem never operates that way. The Rebbe Hashem says, you pick the poison and I'll give it to you to drink. Says the Hashem, you like water, I'll drown you in your water. Says the base David in the Golos, Hashem is hidden. It's very hard to see Hakadosh Baruch Hu's providence clearly. If we were to point to any one isolated incident in the Megillah, can we point to anything that happened in the Purim story and say this was miraculous, that was miraculous? It would be you'd be hard pressed to say, oh, that was a miracle. What was the miracle? That Bashi didn't listen. That Asher killed her, that Esther became the queen, that Mordechai heard the plot to kill the king. What exactly was miraculous about the Purim story? Says the base David, the clearest manifestation of the Yad Hashem in the Golos is this mechanism of Hashkacha called Al Ha'eitz Asher Heichen Loi Tana Loi Heichen, where the Yvonne says, You pick the Russia. You pick the poison, you pick the plan, and I will use that plan to accomplish what I want to accomplish. This is the clearest manifestation of seeing HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world. And now I take you to the end of the story. Achashur is taxing the people. Let's fast forward the story five to ten years. The Jewish people are now returning to rebuild the second base of Mikdash. And as recorded in Sefer Ezra, Paragvav, 
The Jewish people don't have enough money to build the second Beit HaMikdash. So they turn to the king, to Darius. They say, Darius, thank you for the permission to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash. We can't afford it. So Darius says, so make a charity campaign. It wasn't invented yet. So Darius says, you know what? The Pasuk says in number 43, The decree should be issued to cooperate with these elderly Jews. To rebuild the temple. From the royal estate, Immediately give them all the tax money to rebuild the second base Hamikdash. And I ask you one simple question. Where did Darius get all this tax money from? Now we know why the Megillah ends, that Ahasuerus taxed the people. Because the Megillah begins that Ahasuerus was having a Suda. And what was he celebrating at the Suda? Ahasuerus was celebrating at the Suda that the Navi Yermia said the temple would be built in 70 years and the Besamekdash wasn't rebuilt, it will never be rebuilt. Ahasuerus is celebrating the eternal destruction of the second base Hamikdash. By the end of the story, Ahasuerus has become the chief fundraiser to build the second base Hamikdash. <laughs> but watch how this turns. Akashverosh is sitting there at the Suda. He's rejoicing. The Beis HaMikdash will never be rebuilt. He thinks this Suda is celebrating the eternal destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. And Yvonne is laughing. You think this Suda is celebrating the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash? This Suda is rebuilding the Beis HaMikdash. Because you're going to call Vashti. She's not going to come. You're going to knock her off. You're going to marry Esther. You're going to have Darius. You're going to collect taxes, you're going to die, and you're going to give it to him to rebuild the second base on Mikdash. You think you're celebrating Chorban, the Megillah comes out retroactively, the Megillah ends, Ahasuerus collects the taxes, so it comes out from the beginning, the whole party was really a celebration of the Binyan Bayashim. And if you think that this type of Hashgacha is reserved and limited to the Purim story, we have to just open up our eyes a little bit and we'll see that throughout Jewish history this is the method, this is the mode of Hashgacha with which Hashem brings Yeshua to Klal Yisrael. I'll share with you two examples. You ever hear of Lakewood Yeshiva? Who built the Lakewood Yeshiva? Rebaran. That's what you thought. Actually, it goes, Lakewood Yeshiva goes back much before, you know, 1950 goes back actually a few hundred years earlier. There was a king and a queen. They were embarking on a mission of reconquesta, to reconquer the entire Iberian Peninsula, to rid it of Muslim infidels, to remove every Jew from the Iberian Peninsula. So the Jewish people will never have a haven, will never have a homeland, will never be able to build Jewish institutions, will never be able to observe the Torah. And on August 2nd, 1492, Ferdinand and Isabel decreed the Spanish Inquisition and they expelled 300,000 Jews from Spain. 
and they get a knock on the door. What would you like, Christopher? I have this really great idea. I think if we just, if you could pay for and commission sending me with my men, we're going to discover a new country and we're going to expand Spanish power. How much is it going to be? It's an expensive proposition. But king, queen, you want to be, you want to remain in Iberian Peninsula. You want to expand Spanish influence. So on that day, Ferdinand and Isabella financed Columbus's voyage. And on August 3rd, Friday, the day after Tishaba, Christopher Columbus set sail to discover a much greater haven for the Jewish people. In fact, we have a report from a cabin boy who when he was leaving the harbor in Spain in 1492, being taken out of the country, he waved to the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santeria that were docked in the harbor, ready to set sail the very next day. Ferdinand, Isabella, you think you're going to rid the Iberian Peninsula of Jewish influence? The Jewish people will never have a home, will never have a haven? You will be the ones to finance the country that has been the Achsanya of Klal Yisrael in the most comfortable way we ever were in any Gullahs. That was discovered. This is an observation of Harava Victor Miller, Sechat But then something else uh, dawned on me. Something that happened in this century, which is really Mipilei HaHashkacha. Now, if you were to ask, in the last 200 years, which country was the greatest enemy of the Jewish people? And of course, many. Medinites are vying for this prestigious status. And many people would say, of course, it's Germany. But probably it's Russia. In the 19th century, the Russians had a formal plan to destroy the Jewish people. Because most Jews in the 19th century in the world lived in Russia. They were going to exterminate one-third. They're going to expel one-third, and one-third would just become acculturated. That's why in the end of the 19th century, about two million Jews had nowhere to go. They had to leave Russia. Many people think the Germans invented systematic extermination of the Jewish people. No, the Russians invented it. They just weren't very good at it. It takes them a long time to do something. Like if you want to buy a car in Russia, so you put down $27,000, and they tell you, come back August 13th, 2054. <laughs> so you know, the guy said, morning or afternoon? He said, well, it's been 30 years. No, no, the plumber's coming in the morning, right? That's how things work in Russia. So the Germans were more efficient. They perfected it. And the, probably the greatest butcher in the history of the world Joseph Stalin. He killed 20 million of his own. And in 1948, during the War of Independence, he got this crazy idea that, you know, the Jewish homeland, the Jews who are fighting for a homeland, they're socialists. They'll probably be Marxists and communists. And they're preferable to be in Palestine than the democratic Brits. So Stalin funded the War of Independence. 
Not only that, Stalin sent his own troops to fight the Arabs in the War of Independence. Even though in the last 60 years, the greatest supporter of any Arab aggression against Jewish people is the Soviet Union, Stalin got in his head, the Jews need a homeland. And when it came time to recognize the state of Israel, Stalin voted to support and recognize the state of Israel. God took the greatest butcher in history so that there could be a mere yeshiva today in Yerushalayim. Who fought the war of independence? The Soviet Union. It's uh, almost inexplicable. But that's how Kodesh Baruch operates. Al ha'etz asher heichen loy, pana loy heichen. But it's interesting, there's a little bit of, of a turn of events. Because after Israel was recognized, and Ben-Gurion was favoring, uh, was currying favor with, with America, so it, it enraged Stalin. So Stalin came up with what was called the doctor's plot, where he was going to finish the job that Hitler began. And he had a plan in place for March 6, 1953, to exterminate between 2 and 4 million Jews who were left in the Soviet Union. And he accused six doctors of poisoning the patients in the hospitals. They were, there were trumped-up charges against them. And Stalin had railroad tracks built to take two to four million Jews to the north of Russia, where the temperature is between negative 70 and negative 90 degrees. They would all die, within weeks. The camps were built. Concentration camps were built. The railroad tracks were built. The plan was in place for March 6, 1953. When Stalin made a plan, Stalin carried out the plan. He was strong like an ox. He had nerves of steel. He had already uh, murdered 20 million people. That year, Purim came out on Matzai Shabbos. Rabbi Yitzhak Zilber, in a camp, gathered together some inmates, and they were laming the story of Purim. And after the story, Rabbi Yitzhak Zilber said, You see? You see? We had a Haman before. And the tables turned. That happened 2000, but it can happen again. And one of the inmates said, Rabbi, what are you telling us nonsense about some ancient legend? What happened to that? This is Stalin we're talking about. He's already mil- murdered 20 million people. It's only in a few weeks, March 6th. And Rabbi Yitzhak Zilber said, Stalin is a basar vadam. He said this at 7.50 p.m. Purim, 1953, exactly 70 years ago. No human being knows what will be in 30 minutes. At 8.23 on the clock, Stalin, who was healthy like an ox, stroked out 33 minutes later. Immediately, thousands of Jewish prisoners on Purim, 70 years ago, just walked out of their cells. Stalin needs a doctor. (laughs) There are no Jewish doctors, they're all in jail. There's nobody to cure Stalin. And he was just left to die. And Rabbi Yitzhak Zilber said, if he knows Tehillim today, it's because he had this moral dilemma. Can you daven for a Russia to drop dead? And he said, of course you can. 
And he said to Tehillim after Tehillim after Tehillim after Tehillim until the report came to him that on March 5th, one day before the plan was supposed to be executed, Stalin died. A day before the execution of two to four million Soviet Jews in 1953. Coming to the Levaya was the president of Czechoslovakia, Clement Gottwald. Earlier, Czechoslovakia freed 100,000 Jews to go to Israel. Stalin was so angry, he ordered Gottwald to assassinate every member of the Czechoslovakian government, which he did. And Gottwald came to Stalin's Levaya. And Gottwald stroked out at the Levaya at Stalin, and on March 6th, laying side by side, Joseph Stalin, Clement Gottwald, Yemach Shemam Vizichram, Pura Miracle, 70 years ago. This is the manner of Hashkacha of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How often we get caught up. We need this person in power to bring Yeshua's for Kal Yisrael. We need this president. We need this prime minister. We need this official. Of course, we have to do Hishtadlos. But give the Rebunisha more credit than needing Ploini Almoini to bring Yeshua Yisrael Yisrael. Ein lanu melech lihishayin ela alavinu Shabbat Shamayim. Ein lanu melech goyel umayshia ela ata. Why was Esther Zoyche to bring Gulula for Klal Yisrael? Says the Maral, because she was Oimer Davar B'Shem Amrai. Why is that a reason to bring Gulula? Because she quoted her sources? Because she told Achashverosh that it wasn't me who saved you, it was Mordechai? It's a nice Midah Toivah, it's Anivos, but why is that the ingredient of Yeshua? Says the Maral, for the Yvonne to bring Yeshua for Klal Yisrael, he only needs one thing, that we recognize that it's him. And therefore the most important thing to be involved in bringing Yeshua to Klal Yisrael is if you know how to give credit to your friend. Because if you know how to give credit to your friend, then when the gula happens, you're going to say, it wasn't me, it was Rebunisholam. The purpose of gula is for us to recognize Ein lanu melech goyel umayshia ela ata. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring Kali Yisrael Yeshua Geula Nechama lanu ulechol Yisrael. Amen. Thank you very much. Yeah. When Yosef took all the money from by selling the food, that money went to the Eden. Where they not so as Mitzrayim. That was all. All the Rukhush got all. The whole Rukhush. What? Yeah, right here.